All right, church. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Carson Valley Bible Church, in case you're new or visiting. And I get the honor and privilege to lead us um, in our series that we have been in for quite some time in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, that very first book of the Bible. And I would encourage you to grab a Bible, your own or one of the ones around you, scripture journals, whatever you got. And today, we find ourselves completing chapter 18 and then through chapter 19. So we got a, a good amount of text that I want to, to look at this morning. And I want to do so as one literary unit, because that is the way it appears that Moses has, has written it. And so we want to look at it as such. Now, if you're not familiar with maybe this passage of Scripture, this Scripture deals with God's judgment. His judgment against the sins of two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. But Sodom in, in more uh, detail than Gomorrah. Now, fair warning, especially if you are a parent in the room with your kiddos, uh, this is one of the darkest chapters in all of the Bible. One of the darkest chapters in all of the Bible because the language and the accounts that it records contains the reality of human sinfulness. It contains the reality of the seriousness of sin and also the judgment of a just and holy God. Now... I don't intend to be overly detailed in any of my explanation of particulars in the text. You know, I don't, I don't want to be crass, even though we'll look at some, some very dark things. But I do have to preach the text as it is. I can't, I can't shy away from it. It's actually one of the reasons why we as a church are committed to expository preaching being the main diet that we receive, so to speak. And expository preaching is simply just walking through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Because when we do that, we are forced to wrestle with the text that we would not want to maybe preach on. Or texts that we're, we don't even know how to preach on or how to look at. We not, we're not cherry-picking just the things that we agree with or like. Now, although we, we do like to hone in on certain aspects of Scripture from time to time. Expository preaching forces us to walk through what does all of God's Word have for us. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, you guys are all probably equally curious and concerned with that introduction. And what's the way I want to do is I want to pray. I want to pray for you, ask that you pray for me, and then I will read that text for us, and then we'll begin to walk through it together. But... Let's go to the Lord together one last time and pray for me as I pray for you. Father, as we just enter into a time of looking at your word in the book of Genesis, Father, I'm acutely aware of just how important this text of Scripture is, how difficult it even can be to think about at times, but you've given it to us for a reason. That not only was it an historical account, but it's also useful for all of God's people for all time to know you. And so God, I pray for every person in the room this morning 
whether they trust you, love you, depend on you, or maybe they're not even sure about any of that. Got to pray that you would just give them hearts to believe, ears to hear, eyes to see exactly what you have for them this morning. Father, I also pray for our kiddos next door as they look at this, this same passage. And Lord, that you would give those teachers just wisdom to know how to to rightly teach it to our kiddos. And, and like all of us, Lord, that they would be able to respond to your judgment and to your mercy. And that we would all, Father, walk out of here just loving you more than when we first walked in. It's our great desire. It's our humble need. And we give it all to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, as I mentioned, Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 22, and I'm going to read through all of chapter 19. Chapter 19. So let me just go ahead and read this for us. You can follow along in your Bibles or on screens. All right, so the men turned from there and went to Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Chapter 19, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Verse 4. But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him. And said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, 
for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with, and they, and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both the small and the great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons Daughters or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become a great has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons in law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons in law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they, were brought, them, as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest a disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can, can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Verse 23, The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord of, out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and in all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that. When God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up to Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. 
He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Amorites to this day. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, we are thankful for God's word. Thanks be to God indeed. Oof, right? A lot going on in that text. It's a very dark chapter, exposing the sinfulness of humanity and the consequences of sin. But let me ask you this, before we, we get into uh, just the text itself, why in the year 2022, right in Minden, Nevada, why should we as Christians actually care about this? Right? What bearing does this actually have on our lives anymore? Or even if you're not a Christian, what, what does this matter to us? Of what God did in the past, why should that matter to us today? Well, I think it answers the question if we consider in light of what does God do about sin? What does God do about sin? What does God do with our rebellion, right? Our failure to love him, as we have seen through the residents, right, in the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who sinned and rebelled against God. What about us? What if, what about our sin? Because our sins, they may be different than that of Sodom. But truth be told, none of us can stand here this morning and go that we are without sin, Right? So we have to ask the question, what, what does God do about sin then? What do we see in the character of God? Because we're not just sinning against just another person. We're sinning against the Creator, the one who's in control of everything. It's one of the most important questions we could ask. And I believe that what we will see in this text is we see what does God do about sin? And we see that he is one that has judgment against sin, but also mercy with sin. Judgment and mercy are on display. So we're going to look at that, but we're also going to do, as we have been doing through our whole study of the book of Genesis, and read Genesis, or connect Genesis 18 and 19, through the rest of the Bible. Where does this go? Why? How is this story, this account, play into the picture of what God is unfolding to us? Now, as you may imagine, because we did look at so much actual text itself, I'm not going to be able to cover every verse, but I do intend to highlight as much as I can, as much as I can for us. So let's go back to chapter 18, to verse 22, where we started. And let me remind us that we are jumping back into an account where we had just seen Abraham had this visit with God and two angels in the beginning of chapter 18, where they had this feast, this conversation, and we saw that through this conversation between Abraham and God and his wife Sarah, where God showed up and reminded them about the promise, the promise, the covenant which God began with Abraham. And one of the aspects of that promise, that, that covenant that he made with them, was to provide a son, a son that would benefit the whole world. 
one day. But we also noticed, and as we we're seeing here, that the visit from God and the angels was not just about reiterating the promise, but it was also intentionally to visit Sodom and to deal with a city that had turned their back on God. In the previous chapters, we had seen that Sodom, the city of Sodom and the cities of the valley, they were known as being enemies of God. It's the language that we see earlier, that they were enemies of God. And it, and it says that they were going to investigate. Not that they didn't know, right? Because God is all-knowing. But kind of in, in a merciful way saying, let's, let's go and see if this is all true. If it is the way in which they have been. Or they are. So starting in verse 22, we see that those angels are heading towards Sodom. Heading towards Sodom. But notice, this is important, this is important, that amidst the angels going to Sodom, what does Abraham do? What does he do? In verses 22 and 23, he draws near to God. He starts praying. He starts interceding because he knows what the angels are going to find at Sodom, right? He knows the sinfulness of the people. And much of that because Abraham has been acutely aware of what? His own sinfulness in this world. And so he intercedes with God. He prays. He asks God that he would not bring judgment on the righteous. And so you see this conversation through the rest of chapter 18 where Abraham is saying, God, if there is just people, if there's righteous people in there, don't bring your judgment on them. And we see this conversation go from if there was 50 people, 50 righteous people, he will spare the city all the way down to how many? Ten. Ten is where the conversation ends. And as we will see, God kept his promise if there was 10 righteous people in the city, it would be spared. He kept that promise. But now, if we jump over to chapter 19, here's where we begin to see, in particular, the account of Sodom and also the rescue of Lot. If you're using one of those ESV Bibles, that heading, God rescues Lot, I think that's an appropriate heading to this passage. Now, what do we know about Lot? What do we know about him? Well, Lot was the nephew of Abraham, one that was greatly blessed by God along with Abraham. But yet, over the last few chapters, we have seen that, that Lot has been continually heading and getting involved with Sodom, hasn't he? Even after the city of Sodom was overtaken by foreign kings, and Abraham had to go and rescue them. We see Lot had returned to Sodom. And it says here in verse 19, verse 1, that when the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And what that means is that Lot actually had a, a position of political authority in Sodom. That he stood at the gate. We see that being in the rest of Scripture, being something that was a respected person of the city, someone who had political influence, would be sitting at the gate. 
one who was an elder in some respect. So what we see is that Lot was identifying with Sodom in some way. Right? He, had, he had committed to Sodom. Not, not in a, a missional way, as if God calls us to, to foreign places, to foreign people, so that we can love and encourage and be a light to a dark place. But no, Lot had identified, this is my city. These are my people. But as I mentioned, this did not happen quickly, did it? Over the last several chapters, we've been seeing, seeing Lot move this direction, right? Slowly making decisions that reflected his heart, right? His position in Lot did not come overnight. As much of our own sometimes drift away from God. It didn't come overnight, did it? But making small decisions over and over again that reflected what we truly want in this world. As one commentator puts it, Lot's heart was in Sodom long before his body was. But what happens? Well, Lot has a conversation with two angels. A lot of the details are very similar to that of chapter 18, but it's, as we'll see, it's, the end result is very much contrasted. So the two angels agree to spend the night in Lot's house. Lot makes them a feast. But then in starting in verse 4, we begin to see the, one of the reasons why Sodom was to be judged, don't we? As it says, before they are about to lay down, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surround the house. They surround the house, and what do they do? They start calling out to Lot, yelling at him to come out. And so Lot comes out, doesn't he? He shuts the door behind him. And what do we see in verse 5? What do all of the men, all of the men, young and old, what do they want? Well, it says that they asked a question to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. That we may know them. Now, to know in this text... It does not mean to get knowledge of. To know, as we have been seeing actually throughout the book of Genesis, to know means to have sexual intimacy with. That the men of the city wanted to sleep with these men. And we know by that, by the context of what happens next. Look at verse 7. Lot goes, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. And then he even goes on in verse 8. It says, here, here's my daughters instead. Do with them whatever you want. Which I think was just as of a wicked as an act as the men were asking for. Church, what we are seeing is that the city was deep in sin. Deep in sin. Remember, this was, and this was not a handful, right? This wasn't a small minority, but this was a majority. All of the men of the city willingly and openly were rebelling against God's good design for sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. They had turned their backs on God's good design. And hear me clearly on this, church. God cares how we use our bodies. 
He cares how we use our bodies. He calls us to trust him, to trust him and his design for human flourishing in this world. And to go outside of that is to bring upon judgment because no sin will go unpunished. Listen, I know, I'm very aware that what we are, we are seeing and what I am saying could be considered hurtful, judgmental, and maybe even hateful to some. But I will not lie to you like the world will and say that what you do with your body doesn't matter. Just do what you want with who you want when you want to. God cares about you because he is the one who created you. And to shy away from sin or to call sin something other than what it is or to say that it doesn't matter or even to joke about it is not loving from anybody. It's not loving from me. It's not loving from the world. It matters greatly, as we have read. Now, we don't have time to go into uh, this text in particular, but I want to point out that sexual sin was not the only sin in which they were being condemned for. Over in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, if you want to write that down, we actually see the author, Ezekiel, commenting that one of the other reasons why Sodom was being judged along with their, their sexual sin, was also their pride. Their pride and even their lack of generosity towards the sick, to the poor, to the needy, to the lost. It was not just one area. It was all of their life was in rebellion against God. Their lack of care for the needy and the lost was just as much of a concern to God as was their bodies. And I've also been really heartbroken over this. I've been thinking about this week is how do you get here? Right? What happens? And especially when I think about all of the men, the young and the old, I think about fathers with their sons standing outside the house of law, and I'm heartbroken. Why? Because I see a failure of leadership. I see men failing to teach their sons to walk with God. Men failing to protect their daughters and their wife. You see, sin, you may think it's just a personal decision, but it's not. Sin has massive consequences that sometimes we don't even, we're not aware of that they can have generational impacts. And although the context, right, may be different from the days of Sodom to the days of today, but I see the same heart often in us where, where sin is a punchline, right? Sin can be turned into a meme. Sin can be turned into, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're doing what you think is right, Jump down to verse 14, 
right? When Lot is actually going to his future sons-in-law and he's saying, this city is about to be burned. This city is about to be judged for their sins. But we've been given the opportunity to get out of here. What do we see? At the end of verse 14, but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting, to be joking with them. Which isn't that true of us? Do we like to turn everything into a joke? Something that we just laugh about. But sin is no joke, church. It's not a joke. There's real consequences because if we jump over to verse 24, we see the reality of sin. The reality of the judgment against sin where it says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Utterly destroying the city. No sin was unpunished in that moment. There was only judgment for them. There was no mercy for them. And church, I believe this is where we have to zoom out a little bit. We have to zoom out a little bit because we will see throughout the rest of the Bible, right? If you were to, to do a word search of every time you then saw the names Sodom and Gomorrah would come back through Scripture, you will see that God is saying this is a foreshadow of the ultimate judgment that is to come against sin, not to one city, but to all the world. Jesus would say this very explicitly in Luke 17. I believe I have this, Taylor, on a, on a slide for us to look at. Listen to the words of Jesus here, where he says, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, right, when they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jude, in, as Glenn mentioned, in Peter, they would say the same things in their respective letters, talking about how this moment in Genesis 19 was a foreshadow, was a type of the judgment that is still to come. Because one day, God will deal with sin like he did here, but it will be in the ultimate and final sense that every sin that has not been dealt with will be dealt with on that day according to the just judgment of God. And friends, this tears apart my soul. This eats me up at night. And I find myself beside myself knowing not that I don't want this to happen because I want God to be the just judge that he is. I'm not saying that God should not judge sin. He should if he's a good judge. But I plead with you, I, I plead with my family, everyone I know that doesn't know Christ, that I don't want that day of judgment that is to come to be their day of judgment. Because like a lot, God does provide a way for that judgment not to come upon you. But comes from, it can come from somebody else. Or it could be taken by somebody else. Because like Lot, God alone can give a path of salvation. And actually to give them mercy. 
that even though judgment is promised, even though we know that it's there, there's mercy amidst it. Just like we see here with Lot and his family. If you look over at verse 16, it says, The Lord, being merciful to him, they brought him outside out, and set him outside the city. That God was merciful to Lot, even amidst this judgment that was coming down. Because as we read, was Lot innocent here? No. Was Lot even doing everything right? No. He just gave up, tried to give up his daughters. It even says at the beginning of verse 16 that he lingered. He wasn't sure if he could trust what God was saying. But it says that God had mercy on him and seized him. Physically grabbed him, right? The angels are grabbing Lot and saying, I am taking you with me. It wasn't that he deserved it. It was because the mercy of God was given to him. Though tragically, if you were to look at verse 26, we see that, the, that Lot's wife didn't respond to the mercy of God. Did she? It says that she looked back disobeying the angel's instructions and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Because ultimately, well, ultimately she got what she wanted. And that was not to have God. In the New Testament, Jesus would, would say, remember Lot's wife and talking to the people of the day, to his disciples, and those who were trying to follow him. And he said that because he wanted them to know the power of your greatest affection. Remember Lot's wife. But why did Lot get chosen then, right? Why did he get mercy? Why was he seized by the angels even though that he was just as guilty of sin as everybody else? Why him? Do we have anything in this text that gives us some insight to that? I think we do. I think we do. If you look at verse 29. After the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we read, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So why was Lot chosen, right? Why was Lot given mercy? Why was Lot given grace here? It says because God remembered Abraham. Remembered Abraham. Which, this is a picture of the gospel, isn't it, church? That we are not spared from the judgment of God because of us, but we're spared of the judgment of God because God has remembered the greater Abraham, Jesus. who, being the greater Abraham, not only interceded, not only prayed to God for us, but also died for us. Not only prayed on our behalf, but laid down his life on our behalf. And when Jesus laid down his life on our behalf, church, Jesus was taking on the very judgment, the very wrath of God in which we saw poured out on Sodom. That same wrath that same fury, 
That same destructiveness was poured out on Jesus when he got onto the cross. And so when God considers and looks and considers our sin, right, our guiltiness, he remembers what his son has done. He remembers the cross of Jesus. He remembers that our sins have been paid for by him. It's why the cross is the pulpit of God's love. It's the greatest act of love that any person can ever display. It's how we know what love is, by looking at the cross. And that's why we must remember it, right? That's why we must remember why he was there, remember the seriousness of our sin. But also embrace the love of God that was demonstrated upon it. And if you're not a Christian yet, this is what we want to invite you into. We want you to invite you into considering him who went to the cross on your behalf. Right? He's not waiting for you to clean up your life. He's not waiting for you to get things right, for you to come to him. He's saying, come to me now. I died for you while you were still an enemy of mine. And so he invites you, as he invited every single one of us, to believe in him, believe that what Jesus did on the cross counted for us. And I don't ever want to forget that. I don't ever want to move past that. And the the truth of the matter is, if, if you're not a Christian, if you have never turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, then the guiltiness of your sin, that judgment is still to come. Because if he doesn't pay for them, you will. No sin will go unpunished. And if it's not by Christ, it will be by you. And it will be through the eternal flames of hell and the judgment that we see here. But that day for judgment is not here today. Which I don't think so. But there's no guarantee that it won't be tomorrow. We don't know when the Lord's return will be. We don't know when that final judgment will will happen. But what the prophet Isaiah says, and I find great comfort in this, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Right? The day of grace are still here. But one day those will end. But they're still here right now. They're here right now. And I don't believe that anybody's here by accident. I don't. I don't believe in coincidences. So I would encourage anybody to join me. And I'm placing all my faith, all my trust, all my hope in the one that went to the cross for me. Because I know that I'm no different than the men of Sodom. I'm no different in the way that that I have at the heart level rebelled against God. I have turned my back on him. But yet, God in his mercy has revealed who he is to me, what the cross means to me. I used to think it was just for those who were really, really bad. Until I realized I was the one who was really, really bad.
Church, when we consider judgment as we are looking at right now, I think the cross of Christ begins to glow in an HD, right, more, more robust resolution than it ever could without that judgment. Like a diamond looks great when you just hold it next to maybe something that's pretty good. But when you compare it against something that's black, you can see all the colors, all the beauty that it is. And so may we consider the cross against the black judgment that is to come that we see here. And what a beauty it is, isn't it? The cross of Christ is the pulpit of God's love where we can know exactly who God is and we can know exactly what He can do with sin. Now, I think I'm out of time. There's still a lot to look at. Let me move really quickly. So once Lot and his daughters are taken out of the city, we, we see that they go to the Zoar, but yet they don't stay in Zoar, do they? Out of fear. And so they end up, and we see at the very ending of this chapter, this, this, you know, this ending that we probably wouldn't want to be in the Bible, do we? But it's there, so we have to deal with it. And so Lot and his daughters, though they've been spared from the judgment of God here, they see God work miraculously in their life. We see that they're still struggling. And it kind of sounds like a country song, but it seems like you can take the daughters out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of the daughters. Because what happens, right? They concoct this 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 incestuous plan that is even just hard to think about in some ways. But let me, let me connect this to, to the grand plan of Scripture. Because God repeatedly, throughout the book of Genesis, and you see this throughout Scripture, that even though God cares about the means, right? He cares about what we do with our life. He's always in control of the ends. He's always in control of how he will use the acts of sinful humanity for his good and eternal purposes. Because even despite the sins of Lot's daughters here, God will use their heinous act for his good purpose. Because notice, notice, the tribes that were born through the two sons. If you're familiar with the Bible, you would recognize these tribes, the Moabites and the Amorites, who would then play a, a significant role in the life of, of Scripture moving forward. But let me point out one area where we see God use this moment for His eternal purposes. Because I bet you guys are all familiar with a certain Moabite woman. Her name is Ruth. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth would be the great-grandmother of King David. King David. And it is through the line of King David would come whom, church? Jesus Christ. The very one who did get on that cross. So even despite all of what we see, the seriousness of sin, right? 
the judgment of God. We see God still at work. God's plan not thwarted by humanity's sin. And even amidst judgment, even amidst sin, we see grace. We see mercy. We see God moving in ways that we desperately needed him, don't we? Because there is only mercy and there's only grace in one person. Ultimately, and that's in Christ, in Jesus Christ. And so I always want to end our time thinking about him, thinking about what he has done, thinking about the judgment that is still to come that we see here that has, has happened, but yet consider the cross of Christ. What a God we have. That you can read the Bible and you can come up with a lot of bad news. A lot of, oh no. But amidst that, God is always saying, but there's a gospel. There's good news. It's a story which God has been demonstrating since the very beginning. When sin entered the world, he said, but I'm going to do something. We see here when sin enters the world and judgment, or not enters the world, it's been going on, but judgment enters the world here. We see God going, but I'm at work. And so let's end our time today simply praying and thanking God for the cross and for his willingness to take on what we deserved. What a, what a God we have, church. Let's pray. Father, as we, we end our time in your word this morning, I am I'm simply in awe of what, of what you have done for me. I'm in awe of what you have done for every single person that has placed their trust in you. God, I'm no better. I'm just as guilty. But in you, Lord, in you, there's no condemnation for sin. In you, you have paid the full penalty for my sin. It's in your words, Lord, that you said it is finished, speaking about the atonement of my sin. God, what a God you are. May I never forget it. May we all be encouraged this morning to see the beauty of you the grace of you, the love of you, and also the reality of you. And it's in your mighty and precious and good name we pray, Jesus.